listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. So if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles open, if not, it'll be up on the screen or you can share and look over with one another. To start at the beginning of the book of Matthew, and you get this story that I would imagine for many we've heard probably hundreds of times, and if not, and this is the first time you're hearing it, what a great thing, just the freshness of, of hearing the reality of God's perfect provision in his son, Jesus, and, and how all of these things work together, but I do, as we encounter this story, want to remind you that this story happens in God's perfect timing with broken people, with an experience and challenges of emotions that they're trying to navigate. They're living life. They're real people. They're like you and me. Events happen and they find themselves confused. They desire to trust and often they would default to trusting themselves, but yet God continues to speak and remind them of his promises. And he does so by using his word, just consistently God showing up in the deepest fears, frustrations, and hurts of people's lives to remind them that he fully has this in his control. It's an important truth for us to remember during this Advent season. And so we're going to be in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Here's what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found to be she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call him his name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Maybe a familiar text for many of us as we think about the story of Jesus' entrance into the world. But as Matthew unfolds this reality, there are so many different components operating that I think if we just read it too quickly, we can end up missing the substance of what's taking place. We have this situation where there's this young couple deeply in love. They've been betrothed, meaning that they've committed their lives to one another. If you've ever watched people fall in love or prepare to get married, it's as though they've said before that love is blind. In part, that's true. There's a sense in which they're filled with the wealth of emotions and joy and thinking, this is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. 
And imagine Joseph considering the reality of being married to Mary and just how excited he was about who she was and her honor and her purity and just the fact that God had allowed them to be together. And Mary, considering that she had found a godly man who who loved God and who cared about her and she felt cherished, loved, and valued. You get this sense that the relationship is the centerpiece of now some things that are taking place that have been unexpected and unprecedented. But the question remains, come and see, well, why? What would we expect to see? What's the impetus or the purpose behind all of these things beginning to happen? I'd like to suggest to you that within the context of this text, and I want to prove it in numerous different ways, that the center truth that Matthew is highlighting for us through the sovereign providential wisdom of God is that our deepest need is our, separ- is our separation, not our situation. Now, I want, I want us to hear that again, and I'll continue to remind us of it throughout the course of this text, but the, the source of our greatest need is our separation, not our situation. Now, we can attempt to apply that just as we look at our own situation, and I hope that you will. I hope that you'll look at your situation and you'll begin to think, okay, I look at life right now and there are moments where things seem great and, and other times moments seem really hard. And, and how can that be true? What, what often drives me to a relationship with God and even to prayer is my situation. <laughs> and not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but what if we backed the whole thing up and reminded ourselves that the source of our greatest need is our separation, not our situation. How does that change the paradigm of what we consider about the work of God in our life? Well, I would invite you to consider that the reality of this situation, it, it even tells us that you have this young couple in love and then she becomes pregnant. Imagine the weight of that situation for her and for Joseph. The fears associated with those things, even though she knew that she had been pure and faithful. But on the surface, Joseph felt like he had no options. Betrayal was the order of the day. She had been unfaithful to him as best as he could consider. And so life began to fall apart. He wanted to be noble, the Bible tells us, and care deeply about her and protect her from shame but it wasn't a life that he could live. She had made a decision that had completely and totally shifted the trajectory of their lives according to what Joseph knew. And you get a window into his heart as it says he resolved in himself to divorce her quietly. (laughs) Imagine those silent thoughts that Joseph is revisiting on the daily basis as he begins to understand what he thinks has happened. He's not only weighing the betrayal and hurt that he's experienced from his betrothed wife or woman that he was committed to, convinced that she had completely just cared less and less about the relationship and given herself to another. The hurt and betrayal was overwhelming. It wasn't a life that he could live. He felt alone and lost. (laughs) I would imagine as we think about some of this Advent season, there are Words that you continue to revisit in your mind, discussions that you have amongst yourself about situations going on that have never really been verbalized. You think thoughts and feel feelings that maybe no one else knows, except God. 
And so in the process of those things, you get this sense is that what, what ends up happening is that uh, J- Joseph is wrestling with all of these things, but then, then you get the name Jesus, right? Jesus, transliteration from Hebrew to Greek, which means Yahweh saves. I mean, that's the meaning of the name Jesus, that God himself, Yahweh saves, saves us from ourselves, saves us from our thoughts, ultimately saves us from our sin. But, but at the end of the day, the purpose of Jesus coming is to deal with our separation, not to fix our situation. That's challenging as we think of Advent because often we think, well, my separation's dealt with. I, I've placed my faith and trust in Christ, so everything's good, and yet my situations don't progressively or consistently change. It seems as though the situations get harder or more difficult or worse, and yet you're telling me this morning in Matthew that they're telling us that the source of our greatest problem is our separation, not our situation. Yes. Yes, I am. And here's why. I think once we're able to get a grasp of the fact that God has handled our separation, we actually have our only hope for our situation. I think that's where he's leading us is that once we understand the significance of the fact that we have now been brought into relationship with God, we come to the realization that once our separation is solved, our situation has as its source its only hope, which is Christ himself. Look what happens as this story unfolds, right? You have, you have Joseph convinced that life has fallen apart and that the very dreams that he dreamed and desires he had for his future have now all been dismantled. And he is resolved in himself to divorce her quietly because he didn't want her to put her to open shame. So there's some nobility, but he's, he's in uh, the midst of between a rock and a hard place, what in golf we call the unplayable lie. And that's where Joseph is. He's standing there uncertain, all of these thoughts and feelings that are going on in the midst of those things. And what happens God speaks. It's not as though there was a sense where Joseph was ridiculed for feeling what he felt or thought what he thought. He was corrected by God and the truth of his words showing up in the midst of the situation. Right? There's this unique part in this scripture that after he said he considered to do all of these things, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's this unfolding reality about what ends up taking place in Joseph's life is this recognition that all that he thought that he saw and all that he was convinced of is a reality of what was taking place. And he, he was certain that he had saw clearly. I mean, how else? Could Mary have gotten pregnant except being unfaithful to him? And yet, when we are so convinced at our situation and the reality of what we think and feel is so abundantly clear, we end up not giving room for God's miracle to be realized. We end up closing our minds to the sense that somehow, in some way, there could be some other alternative reality in which God is working beyond what we can think or feel. So, if it's true that the deepest source of our Uh, our issues and our challenges, our problems is our separation, not our situation. And if that's true, then as God deals with the fact that we need salvation from our sins, what it does end up giving us is the truth that the, the, the sense of God drawing us close into a relationship with him is actually the real only hope for our situation. So let's be honest though. 
That sounds like great church words, doesn't it? Like, just trust Jesus. It's all good. And yet, that's not necessarily street level where we live. And so what I want to do is I want to continue to do my best through the lenses of God's word is to convince you of the reality that as God has handled our separation, he has given us the only hope for our situation. Two of the most poignant promises in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Right, two words that are uttered and communicated to us that the, the perfect provision of God comes in the context of two nevers. I'm never leaving and I'm never forsaking. Why? What, what sort of clarity does the Lord give us in those things? See if I can enter into it through an illustration. <laughs> I was a terrible soccer dad, like terrible. You know what I mean by terrible soccer dad. <laughs> I was the sideline coach. Right? I was the most vocal guy on the sidelines when specifically Naomi was playing soccer, probably to her shame. Maybe that's the reason why God moved us from Vermont is because people didn't want to see the crazy soccer coach on the sidelines. But I was that guy that tried to be a source of instruction and encouragement. I felt like my heart was pure. Not really. I, I took on the refs a few times in terms of being like, that was a bad call. And I, you know, I, I, was, I was that guy. And I'm not proud of it by any means. But here's what coaching from the sidelines had done. As she was playing and they were working together as a team, I would be like, good job, great pass. I was exuberant and excited trying to communicate to her how she could be a more effective soccer player. But I was limited because I was on the sidelines. I wasn't in the game. I couldn't do it for her. And so in the process of those things, all I could do was try and help her along. And I wonder how often we might feel like that's the case with God. You, you realize that as we think about growing in the Christian life, the goal is not to grow more independent. It's to actually grow more dependent. That we need God and we're aware of our need for God more frequently. And yet when God offers this promise in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave us, what he's communicating is that he's not somehow working in specific ways that we're just on this playing field that we'll get better at life and that he'll need and we'll need less of us. We'll need less of him. I almost said that. I did say that wrong, but let me correct it. That God, God isn't somehow growing us to the point where we need less and less of him and we're able to do this more and more independently. The most mature Christians are the most dependent, the most aware of their need. And so when this promise is offered, it is so highly relational. Why does that matter? Because our greatest problem is our separation, not our situation. We need more of Jesus. And the promise that gets reverberated in our minds and continues to resonate in our hearts is that Okay, if it's true that my greatest problem is my separation, not my situation, then my only hope for my situation is that I'm in relationship with a God who what? Knows what I think, understands how I feel, has the provision and strength and the resources of heaven to work to draw me close. So when I pray, and as I pray, and as I'm thinking about this text and thinking about Advent, it's changing how I pray. That often what I want is a situation to change, and I get it. I'm not that that's not a bad thing to pray for, but I now want to consistently include God in the midst of this situation. You know what I think. You know what I feel. You know how hard this is and how much it hurts. I just want you to draw me close. 
I want to know your intimate presence in my life and your perfect provision, and I want to leave room for you to do a miracle even if I don't know what to ask for. You see, even in Joseph's mind, all he was thinking about was trying to figure out how to navigate the situation based on his human flesh, which is what we all do. And yet God showed up and spoke and said, look, there's a bigger thing going on here. And, and what's happening is that there's going to be salvation, that God is going to save his people from their sins. And you have a huge role in allowing that to be communicated, that when you come and see Jesus, what you're seeing is you're coming and seeing that Yahweh saves, saves his people from their sins. He deals with their separation, not just so that they can somehow in some way spend eternity in heaven, although that's a great result. It's so the here and now of your existence You're reminded that Jesus is not on the sidelines. He is there, intimately connected. He will never leave you. He's not showing up to say, okay, you've learned enough now, you're on your own. He's not growing us up so that when we go to college as Christians, we can do things on. No, he's reminding us that he's consistently reassuring and reinforcing his presence. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. The other reason why I think that promise is critical is when he tells us that he's never going to forsake us, it also reminds us that in the midst of the most egregious sins that you and I could commit, God will never say, I'm done with you. He's never pulling the ripcord. He's never backing off. He's always assuring you that the very reason that Jesus came was to not just save you from your past sins, but to currently save you from your current sins sins and your future sins and the struggles that you and I face in this life, come and see that Yahweh saves. Not that Jesus saved back then, but he saves now. Like there's a reminder that as you confess and I confess my sin before a heavenly father who deeply loves us and we're in relationship with him, that forgiveness is afforded, that he is never going to turn his back on us. That there was one time in the context of all of human history where somebody was forsaken. One time, and it was on the cross, and it was his own son. And in the process of that, that means all forsaking has been done because all of my sin has been applied to Jesus and his righteousness has been applied to me. And so that reminder in the context of the relational promises in the New Testament, he will never leave you and never forsake you, remind us that our deepest problem is our separation, not our situation. But as we understand that God has now handled our separation, We have the only hope for our situation. The other promise in the New Testament that I think bears repeating is Matthew 11. He tells us that all of us should come who are weary and heavy laden. Anyone tired? (laughs) Anyone worn out? Anyone feel like they're carrying things like a 500-pound Sherpa up Mount Everest? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that all the time. And what is the invitation? Come. All those who are weary and heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. Right? There's this sense in which the invitation is highly relational. And why would that matter? Because the deepest problem in our life is our relational separation from God, not our situation. Our situation reminds us that we don't have the power to change what needs to be changed. This came into stark reality to me while Jared and I were in the Philippines. Now, there's a lot of unique parts about the Philippines, right? Right? Balut eggs, I didn't touch them. 
just let you know, I'm not eating half fertilized duck eggs. It's just not happening. I have boundaries. Uh, but, you know, all of those different aspects of, of food and culture, there were tons of different uniquenesses of, of what life looked like in the Philippines. But there were some similarities too. Hurt is hurt. Pain is pain. And people struggle and suffer in very significant ways and have a hard time processing what God's doing in that moment. That was made aware to us with the story of a young woman named Auntie Jema. She was a mother and a wife, had wrestled with coming to faith in Christ, but she had trusted the Lord and given her life over and God had dealt with her separation. She had been faithful and obedient to going to church or when they had Bible studies, she was there. But her situation didn't change. She's a part of an abusive family and her husband, if he didn't, she didn't show back up on time, would threaten to kill her if she continued to go back to Bible study. She would continue to attempt to remain faithful and her husband didn't work much. So all of the money in life was on a, uh, all the decisions and, and the financial responsibilities were on her. She didn't have enough money from his perspective. It was her fault. He didn't do much. And so you have this situation that is really dark and very desperate. We saw numerous tears and we prayed with her and talked with her numerous times. But what do you say in those moments? Like what, what counsel do you, there's no trite bulletin board poster truth that you can give her that just makes things go away. Like how, how do you offer counsel and encouragement in the midst of the significant challenges that this woman is walking through? Honestly, I think it's here. There's not a tear that's been cried, according to the book of Psalms, that God hasn't been aware of. It gives us this great illustration that he keeps our tears in a bottle. <laughs> he's aware of every tear that's cried, every fear that's felt, every difficult moment, every time that there's a in an inner dialogue that's taking place about what's happening and what can change and the reassurance that the deepest source of our problems is our separation, not our situation. Our only hope in the midst of a situation is Jesus. Why? Because he, Yahweh saves. Saves us from our sin, is changing and working in ways beyond what we can see. The deepest desire is that her husband would come to faith in Jesus Christ and then everything shifts and changes. What do you do in those moments where you realize that words fall short? You can't figure out all those things. But Jesus is never without enough and his promises remain true. Why? Because God fulfills his promises. Always. Always. There's not a moment that on behalf of his glory and for the sake of his children that he is not fulfilling the very things that he's promised. And that's what happens in this text. The reason why it comes to fruition is because God had this plan from the very beginning and he uses Isaiah 7, 14 and he says, look what's gonna happen. This is why it all makes sense and he reinforces his word. His word. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. God on the sidelines. God as a coach. God offering good token advice for you to be a better human. <laughs> None of that's true. This is God with us. Yahweh saves. 
The sense of what God is doing in our midst is the realization that what he's reinforcing is not that this world is going to be fixed and look like we want it to look or that necessarily our situations are going to change the way we want them changed. The reminder is, in the midst of every situation and every challenge and every fear that we feel, that sense of what we're actually praying for. And I'm afraid. Draw me close. I'm worried that the things, the worst case scenario could happen in my life and I don't know what to do if it did. Would you, would you draw me close? Because our deepest problem is our separation, not our situation, but the only hope for our situation is the fact that our separation has been dealt with by Jesus. Yahweh saves. So I think as we move to finishing up this text and the, and the joy of what Advent brings is, is this very thing. God always fulfills his promises. He always takes care of his people. He's reinforcing his presence to you and reminding you that his counsel is true, his words are reliable, that he sees and hears and knows every thought you've thought, every fear you've felt, every, every experience and emotion that you can't even put to words. Your heavenly father knows and is working. Never leave you, never forsake you. You have not gone too far away from the grip of God's grace by your sinful attitudes or actions. He's working to bring you close. You're not just growing to the spot where you can figure out this on your own. You will always grow in dependence on Jesus because he will never leave you or forsake you. And then all those who are weary and tired and ready to give up and heavy laden and carrying things like a Himalayan Sherpa. I mean, all of those things that are on our plate. The invitation remains, come and see. Come and see what? Come and see that Yahweh saves. In the perfect plan of rescue, we often try and handle our situation instead of handing over our lives. I mean, how frequently, and maybe this is just more about me and how I handle situations than it is you, but I look at a situation and I'd like to consider myself a fixer. <laughs> There's a problem in the house and you gotta fix it. I'm not gonna call anybody, I'm gonna do it myself. I might make it worse, but I'm gonna try my best to fix it. And that translates into so many other aspects of our lives. We handle, manage our pain oftenly. Oftenly? Is that even a word? We handle our pain often is what I meant to say. So in the context of all of that and the challenges that we face, Joseph wasn't scolded for the thought that he was trying to handle the situation that was presented to him. He dealt with his pain. He cared about his betrothed wife, Mary, and didn't want her to be put to open shame. So he was going to do it quietly and he was going to handle, <laughs> he was going to handle the situation, a life he couldn't live based on a decision that was made by someone else. He was out, but he was going to make it the best possible scenario and move on. See, but God's not calling us to handle situations. He's calling us to hand over our lives because we need the space in our own hearts and our own worship of God that miracles are possible that your situation can change. How do I know that that's true? Because your position before God has changed by the greatest miracle ever recorded in scripture. You came to faith in Jesus. Like, there's no greater miracle, right? I mean, Lazarus raised from the dead, that's awesome. Where's Lazarus now? <laughs> He's dead. He's dead, dead. Like, it was a great thing. It was awesome. God's glory was revealed and it was a great thing. But now he's experiencing eternity in heaven. So the, the greatest miracle in all of scripture is when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that their eternity is secure and they can never really die. 
The miracles are only to point to the glory of God's provision in this world. And so what is it that we desire most? That God would handle our separation because the only hope for our situation is through the relationship with Jesus Christ. The world does not have the necessary wisdom or ability or resources to do what only God can do. And it will always disappoint. Come and see that Yahweh saves. Come and see. Invited with all of the mess and all the challenges. Yahweh saves. Not that he did save, but that he is currently offering you the invitation to not handle your life, but to hand your life over. Would you pray with me?